Good cross in. And then wide, brilliant finish. And here's the danger. Sam Kerr is away. Is this to be her moment? Miedemar. And Vivian Miedemar scores again. Welcome to Football 51. If you love the beautiful game but want to know more about the football played by 51% of the population, that's women, we've got you covered, tactics and all. There was another heavyweight clash as Nick Cushing scored a big win before he goes to the Big Apple, Man U paid the penalty for poor refereeing and Chelsea hammered the hammers. Plus we'll be taking a look at a triumph for India and whether Kaya's banter should be banned. That's all coming up on this episode of Football 51. Wow, I mean, I know my puns are bad at the start, but you're taking shots of my banter already. That's really harsh way to start the start the episode, <laughs> Sophie. Well, you'll have to wait and see what it's about. Yeah, I'm intrigued. So this week, the title hold the WSL title holders face the League Cup champions twice. That's Arsenal against Man City twice this week in a clash of the titans. And it was Manchester City manager Nick Cushing's last week before leaving to become assistant coach at New York City FC. City lost the Conti Cup game 2-1 to Arsenal, but the league match was a different story. Start spreading the news. In from Weir, all the way through, and it's loose. Real chance here for City, who take the lead. Pauline Bremer, via a deflection. Puts the home side in front in this crucial top-of-the-table clash. And for all that Arsenal have had the better of the first half, they find themselves behind. New York, New York. Bush's delivery is a great one, and the header is in from Lauren Hemp for two. What a start to the second half for Manchester City. Now, here's Miedemar. This is her opportunity to impact the game. It's a great ball in and a good save from Roebuck to deny Mead. But the follow-up is in. Danny van der Donk turns it home. And Arsenal are back in it. Nick Cushing's final game as City boss ends in victory. It's up to you, That's right, it was the perfect send-off for Nick Cushing before he goes to New York. Man City winning 2-1 in this game. They were pretty dominant for quite a lot of the game. There were no goals. There was only one goal in the first half. Paulina Bremer, that was a very much a scuffle in front of goal. You never knew if it, that was going to go in. City's second goal, Lauren Hemp, it was kind of weird. Manuela Zinsberger just kind of stood still while Lauren Hemp's header just looped over her head. It was very weird. You you thought maybe if she'd moved, maybe she hadn't thought it was going over the crossbar, she would have been able to save it. And then Arsenal's consolation goal, you know, van der Donk, you can't fail her killer instinct, picking up off uh, Beth Mead's very weak shot in towards goal. So it was, you know, I think I think Man City did deserve it. But, you know, Arsenal just lacked threat in their attack. Some of their shots were so weak. It was ridiculous. Yeah, the Gunners are definitely quite wasteful at times, I thought. They really missed key opportunities that could have easily got the game back to 2-2. Beth Mead had quite a good chance. Uh, well, as you mentioned, she had quite a few good chances. She really probably should have scored at least one on the day. A draw probably, I'm saying on balance, would have been a fitting result. But given the circumstances of Nick Cushing, last game, the narrative around it, you know, the fairy tale. Within the fairy tale lover within you wants 
Nick Cushing to have won his last game at Manchester City. And it turned out that he did. And we spoke last week about how much of a tactical innovator he's been at the club during his time there. He offered like one he offered one more final tactical innovation, a little bit of masterclass, a little touch of genius just for that last game that really fooled Arsenal, didn't he? Sure, you call it a masterclass. Okay. So George's stat. So since Man City have had real problems with their right back this season, so Eva Mannion uh, dist- uh, ruptured her ACL in the Champions League game uh, against Atletico Madrid, and essentially since then they haven't known what to do. So Janine Becky has been filling in that role as you were describing in their tactics a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And she's been doing really well. She's really fitted in. She's managed to run up the pitch, create great attack. Now she's on a break with Canada, actually scoring a hat-trick on Saturday against Jamaica. Uh, Nick Cushing has put Georgia Stanway in right back. And she's been there, you know, she, she's tried this a few times, and it really, I don't think it works. Just out of interest, what position would Georgia Stanway normally be selling out in? So Georgia Stanway is normally a number 10. Okay. And she really has that attacking instinct. And what she does is she really brings Ellen White into the game. Right. And so it, when she's not there, it means that they just don't link up in attack very well. Obviously, Paulina Bremer has been doing amazingly. You know, she's got 10 goals in 10 games and, and she's managed to flourish even though Stanway's been in this role. But... I think Ellen White misses out. And I also think, you know, Nick Cushing himself said, I don't really know where she goes, but I'm pretty sure she won't stay in defence because she's an attacking mindset. So it's kind of like, well, why are you putting her in right back in these two very important games? To be fair to Cushing, it's quite difficult when you've got two informed strikers like White and Bremer to then have a number 10 in behind them. Just the formation that City play, they don't play with a diamond. They play with that box that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Or was it last week? I can't remember. But the point is they, they can't really just have one creative player in, in behind the two strikers because it means they have no width. They have to be either lopsided on the right-hand side or lopsided on the left-hand side. It doesn't really work for their patterns of play going forward. So it's, interesting, it's an interesting innovation to put a number 10 at right-back. It's obviously not one that anyone else probably would have thought of except for Nick Cushing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it worked for Janine Becky. I don't think it works for George Stanway. But Arsenal weren't at their best either. They were missing Kim Little, who's often the link between the back and the front of the field. And she's a really key playmaker. You know, she's their captain. She might have picked up a knock. We don't exactly know what's happened to her. And that means that Arsenal have now lost to their two rivals in very close succession. So it'll be interesting to see what happens between Man City and Chelsea on the 23rd of February. But it's a great send-off for Nick Cushing. In charge since 2013, six trophies. He said... When he started, he he actually admitted to the players, I have no knowledge of the women's game. He nice. was only 29 years old. <laughs> and he's, you know, those players have really taught him a lot. And he's helped develop, you know, the likes of Kira Walsh and Georgia Stanway, who are now key players in, in the England side. So a really great manager. And we hope that he comes back to the women's game at some point. Yeah, there's something to be said for learning the job. A great way to end for Nick Cushing. But like you said, for Joe Montemiro, not quite as good the last two weeks, the Arsenal have now dropped outside of those top two Champions League places. They're down in third. They're probably the least favourite now of all the three teams, Arsenal, City and Chelsea, to win the title. Who would you put as your favourite? I would say Chelsea. Yeah? I mean, it's tough. We're going to come on to the Chelsea score because that was amazing. Mm-hmm. But then again, Arsenal did win their Continental Cup game midweek. True. They went through to the final. So last year, uh, Man City knocked out Arsenal 
on penalties in the semi-final. But this year, it was Arsenal that took it. Viviana Miedemar scoring her 17th goal of the season. Her first goal of 2020, which was considered a dry patch for her, weirdly, because she's so absolutely amazing. What was it, like three three whole matches that she went without scoring? Yeah, exactly. Shocking. Exactly. Shocking. Sub her off. So it was 2-1 to Arsenal. I have to say, Arsenal's goals were from... It's quite strong defensive errors from Man City. Gemma Bonner giving the ball away to Beth Mead for the first goal. And then Ellie Roebuck should really have saved Danielle van der Donk's goal. Ellen White also missed a penalty for Man City. So, you know, it was it was a close, uh, close run thing. But Arsenal through to the final of the League Cup. And if they don't make those two spots, top spots in the WSL, which it's looking less and less likely, then they'll have that to go on. Yeah, we hinted at it earlier a little bit there, but elsewhere at the top of the table in the WSL, it was no cur, no problem for Chelsea, who ended up 8-0 winners against West Ham United. No G either, both away on Olympic qualifying duty for their respective countries, Australia and South Korea. I was trying to think before I was telling Sophie, I was trying to think of some sort of pun based on the fact that Bethany England scored twice and it's Brexit week. And I just thought, you know what, it's better to steer clear from the murky waters of politics and just stay focused on the sport. Great game for Chelsea. They managed to move into the top two, as we said before. The goals came from set pieces, largely, which is something that West Ham will be really upset to have conceded three goals from set pieces. Mielder's first, Ingle and Bethany England's first as well. And so many goal scorers as well. So many goal scorers for Chelsea. I mean, Emma Hayes will be delighted with it. Matt Beard, on the other hand, probably not so much because the same thing happened. Every week we seem to talk about West Ham. They seem to have a problem with long balls over the top and playing too high a line. They fell for it again. England scored one like that. Aaron Cuthbert scored a lovely goal, but again, it came from a ball over the top that their two centre-backs just can't deal with. Matt Beer came out afterwards on Twitter and was saying something along the lines of, you know, obviously that hurts. It's not nice to lose 8-0. It's pretty unacceptable for a team in the WSL to be losing 8-0. But frankly, his, his main defence of it was, well, we're good at times. And when we are good, we're great, but we're not good enough. I don't want to be too harsh, but that is Matt Beard's job to make them good all the time. His job is to coach consistency into his players and he's not managing that. He's been there a while now and they the same, the same mistakes keep happening week in, week out and you wonder, like, when are they going to fix it? Yeah, it's so true. And before Christmas, losing 5-0 against Man City as well, it's just not good enough. Completely unacceptable for a team that has genuine designs on coming forth and being the best of the rest in the WSL. A bad day all round for West Ham and Matt Beard, but... A great day for Bethany England, who capped off a fantastic week. She was named January Player of the Month in the WSL. A lovely video on Twitter from Ian Wright talking about her tactical versatility. Yes, we all love Wrighty on this podcast. But away from him, what he was saying was about her tactical versatility. Very interesting stuff about how she's able to play in a two and a one. So most players have a, a, a fixed position. Bethany England can do both. She can run in behind. She can hold the ball up well. She's great in the air. She's quick. She can press. I don't know if there's anything she can't do. She's a real asset for the England team. Obviously, Phil Neville started calling her up and she did well in the friendlies. And she started scoring goals. And like I said, she can run into space. Last week versus Arsenal, cutting in from the right-hand side, curling up one in with her left foot against Reading. She can do that link-up with Kerr in a two. She got the goal there from a lovely back, back flick from Kerr. That looks like it's going to be a lovely partnership yeah, as well. And her pace as well. I mean, her, her pace, pace and oh. her goal was absolutely amazing. That ball through and she just ran oh. onto it, beat the keeper and then fired it in. Yeah, I pull a hamstring just thinking about running that fast. I mean, she's unreal. And 
like I said before, she's perfectly capable of playing up front on her own, plowing a lone furrow. She's done it before. For example, you know, the kind of header she got against Bristol City last month as well. Proper poacher's goal. She does it all. And Hayes, Emma Hayes is also named manager of the month. So it's been, a, it's been a very good January, a very good return from the Christmas break for Chelsea. And they're through to the Conti Cup final. Yes, a fantastic win for them in midweek again. They'll be playing London rivals Arsenal in the final on February the 29th. Another goal from Mielda against Manchester United, a decisive winner for them. A decisive winner for Chelsea even. Manchester United had one chance, but really it was Chelsea's night as they dominated the game. Hi, I'm Sophie Engel. You're listening to Football 51. Man United also struggled in the league this week. They did indeed a one-all draw with Reading, which is probably not what they would have wanted going into the game. They dominated the game. They really should have been more than the 1-0 ahead that they were. Lauren James had put them in front with a lovely left-footed strike. She always does, doesn't she? She always does. She's brilliant. She knows where the back of the net is. But then um, something very strange happened. Oh, sorry, before that, in fact, Reading did miss a penalty, which was bizarre because you back Farrell Williams to score from the spot any time. But she got another chance after some appalling refereeing. Anyone watching the replays on social media will have seen that that was not a handball, was it? No, let me expand on it a bit for you, listener. So basically, the ball is crossed in from a free kick and it clearly hits Katie Zellum on the head. Some Reading players appeal, but it looks like they're appealing from a corner. For some reason, Kirsty Dowie, the referee, gives a penalty for handball and it's brought officiating in the WSL back into the spotlight, which is something we don't really want to be talking about. You know, Casey Stoney straight after the game criticised the refs again. She's rightly furious and she feels like refs have played a negative part in all three of the games she's been involved in this week. Obviously, the FA Cup tie against Manchester City last week. Did the ball cross the line? Didn't it cross the line? We had our own little Jeff Hurst moment. We had a chat about that in the studio last Mm -hmm. week's episode. There was another thing in the Chelsea game that she was quite upset about. And now this, you know, it really is frustrating for the WSL, a professional league, to have to deal with amateur referees. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because Kirsty Dowie has just been added to the FIFA international referee list. Yeah. And now she's making mistakes like that. It's, it's tricky because there's not a massive amount of money in the WSL, even though it is a professional league. So referees are still being paid, I think the guess is around £120 a game, something like that. It's not confirmed, but they're paid one off Mm. and that's it. And then they do other things in the rest of their time. So (laughs) they do need to invest in it, don't they? I don't want to pile in on Kirsty Dowie. As you said, she's been added to the FIFA referees. She's clearly a decent referee and she's a human being. People make mistakes. It happens. But straight after the game, uh, Reading captain Tasha Harding also came out on Twitter to sort of lay into, not specifically her, but the standard of refereeing in the WSL in general. She said it was the only part of the game, really, that isn't improving, which I'd have to agree with. We've had so many strides forward in terms of professionalism, training facilities, higher attendances, more investment. The refereeing is the only bit that's being left in the dark ages, and it's arguably one of the most important bits of the game. In the final WSL game played on Sunday, it was Brighton against Everton. So Brighton won 1-0 in the end. It was Eileen Whelan who scored in the 39th minute. Brighton were definitely on top. You know, they had a lot of chances. There was a back heel chance, a chance just wide of the post before Eileen got her goal. She used to play for Everton herself uh, in 2017 and she scored four goals in the WSL this season. Everton did have more of the possession 
so 57% possession, but their shots were just not on target. So it's it's an odd win if you look at the table because Everton are fifth and Brighton are ninth. But actually, Brighton deserved it on the day. Yes, and like you say, there's now a cluster of teams just below Arsenal in third, down in fourth, fifth and sixth, all looking for that fourth place top spot of the best of the rest. And it's looking really tight between Man U in fourth, Everton in fifth and Reading in sixth. So you may have noticed we've only talked about four games. That's because two games were cancelled this week due to poor pitches. Mm. Liverpool against Birmingham and Spurs against Bristol City because Prenton Park and the Hive were waterlogged. Yeah, it's not great. Again, we've spoken about pitches so many times. It seems like every week there's another pitch story to be talking about. Last week we spoke about Crystal Palace Southampton. The week before it was Liverpool again at Prenton Park. I don't know if anyone's seen that pitch, but it's like a mud like a mud bath. It's, I've seen tough mudder courses that have less mud on them. Yeah, you can see the footprints of the of the referees who were checking the pitch out. I mean, <laughs> Peter Moore, the CEO of Liverpool, did make a statement. He said he knows it's frustrating for the fans and he said they're exploring all options and he's in regular contact with the groundskeepers. But Liverpool have so much money, it's just not good enough. We've been here again and again. And actually, I read a very interesting article by Molly Hudson in The Times and she was saying maybe this shows that women should have pitches built for them and that pitch sharing is not the future. You know, actually, maybe, you know, the Hive is home to Barnet, London Bees and Spurs women. Maybe it's time to end pitch sharing. Okay, what is that from like a perspective of the uh, ACL, like the different need, different demands of women's physicality in terms of what the grass would be like? Or no, is that I think just... it's literally just because if the pitch is used too much, then it gets I see, okay, okay. Although... The teams involved have had real problems with ACL injuries. Bristol City picked up two against Liverpool last week. Megan Sargent and Elise Hughes. And there's been some big ACL news with Arda Hegerberg, who is the Champions League star, former Ballon d'Or winner. She's ruptured her ACL as well. So, you know, big, big problems there. Speaking of bad pictures, we said that Crystal Palace against Southampton had been called off in the FA Cup fourth round. That was replayed this weekend and Crystal Palace won 4-0, so they'll be through to the fifth round of the FA Cup. Yeah, probably a fitting result for them because they were 3-0 up in the first game and it was called off. We spoke about that again last week and another waterlogged pitch, another problem. I could make so many long statements about how much I hate pitches and all the problems, but you know... Um, it's a short show and I've said that about five times in a row on this podcast and I'm probably going to keep saying it until there's more investment in pitches. So that completes our roundup of the WSL for this week. But now we've come to the part of the show that we know you've all been waiting for, listeners, our Players of the Week. Sophie, who is yours? I've gone for Daniela Vanderdonk of Arsenal. Even though she's on the losing team? Yes. Well, she was only on the losing team once out of two games. Oh, you're I going just for think, both. Okay. I just think her poacher's instinct, you know, that goal for Arsenal in the league, firing off after Mead's shot was absolutely, you know, pathetic. And then getting in there, <laughs> making an attempt, even though there were a million and one players in front of her against Man City in the Conti Cup. And hitting it straight towards Roebuck but you know she's still she's still fired it through I just think she's she's got the fire she's got the drive Fair who's enough. yours I feel like I should give mine to Beth Mead after you've, after you've 
slated her shooting ability all of this podcast, but I'm probably going to have to go for Bethany England. I spoke earlier about how much of a fan of hers I am. I think personally she should be leading the line for England, either in a one or two, because she can play in both. So she could go with Ellen White. She could go on her own. Tactical versatility. Phil Neville, take note. Hashtag England for England. And the fun doesn't stop there, listener. We've now got time for our moment of the week. What's yours, Soph? Mine was Man City ending the week, top of the WSL table for their manager leaving. I know we've talked about it a lot, but it's the perfect send-off. What's yours? I'm going to go for the Brighton versus Everton game. No, I'm joking. It was a terrible game. Very boring. I'm going to have to go for probably... Chelsea moving up into the top two into the Champions League spaces and really making that title race something very interesting even more so than it was before for us all to watch at home. From England to Scotland, my news of the week was that Bala Devi has become the first Indian pro footballer in the world. Rangers have signed her. Rangers obviously became pro very recently. They announced it on the 30th of December 2019, so very, very recently. Baladevi is, she's pretty amazing. She's the top scorer for India. She scored 52 goals in 58 games since 2010. And she's also the top scorer in the South Asia, Asia region. In the domestic competition, she's got over 100 goals in 120 games and she's been top scorer in the league in the past two seasons. I just think this is a huge moment for India, who are 57th in the FIFA World Rankings. So well done, Baladevi. Amazing work. Fantastic news for her, a real trailblazer within the sport. From something that's as inspiring as that to something that's a little bit more controversial, let's say. Uh, some of you may have seen the report that came out earlier this week from the Chartered Management Institute. I don't know if it was an exact report or whether it was just a statement, but from their chief executive, Anne Frank, who suggested that football banter should be banned within the office purely because of the fact that it's not inclusive to the female gender. A few issues with that, but Sophie, you had quite an interesting perspective on it that I hadn't really thought of because of... Well, my male privilege, to be honest, it never really occurred to me. But um, yeah, let's, I guess you can tell the listeners all about it. Yeah, I think this is a really, really difficult thing to handle because I have, I am a football fan, but I have been in the situation where I've been in an office and people are talking about Premier League and it's Premier League, Premier League, Premier League. Mm. And they shout out, they give names, they give stats, they give everything. And it's kind of a showing off their knowledge, even if people don't know that they're (laughs) trying to do it. And I know a lot about women's football, but people ju- it just shuts down the conversation if you bring in women's football because they don't know anything about it. Sure. So actually, I have felt this sort of exclusion, but actually I read an article by Rebecca Myers in The Times, and I know a lot of female journalists have been relating to this since it came out uh, this last weekend. She said, actually, what I feel is not exclusion, but envy. I feel an envy that a lot of male circles of friends, the way that they relate to each other, obviously a little bit of a generalisation, but is to talk about sport and Mm. to bring up facts and, you know, watch football together and you just absorb so much knowledge by osmosis and by being really in the game. So the amount of natural knowledge that a lot of men have is extraordinary. And the amount of research that a lot of people have to do to catch up with that is is phenomenal and people don't really understand quite how much knowledge they naturally have. So for you, the issue isn't so much one of exclusion or feeling left out. It's more the fact that you just it's not readily available to you because of these gender stereotypes that mean 
girls are brought up to, you know, pay attention to things other than football and boys are brought up to read football magazines, play cards, you know, match attacks, all that kind of stuff. Everything in the playground, all the chat is about football. In the workplace, it's always about football. It's not so much that it's exclusive and you feel that you can't be a part of it purely because of its being football. It's more the fact that it's about Premier League, just from what I'm understanding. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about Premier League rather than WSL. It's also, yeah, I think it's it's much deeper set than okay. people realise. Interesting. And if you're not part of it, I guess it's, I guess if you're part of it, it's really easy not to see that, but it is kind of really built up from childhood. You know, a lot of people are saying oh, it's very difficult for women to get into sports and stuff like that. And it is really built up from from childhood. But I think you made a really good point earlier when you, you were saying that, you know, actually, why shouldn't women be interested in football? I know. The whole, the whole premise of this claim from Anne Frank is that the entire gender, female gender, is not at all interested in football. And the idea that if you were to go up to a woman and ask her about, I don't know, let's say... Um, Jose Mourinho, was it a tactical masterclass or did he get lucky against Man City over the weekend? If you just go and ask them something like that, then that would be not inclusive purely because of the fact that she's a woman, which in itself is inherently sexist. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think that's not acceptable. But also, it kind of where did it stop? Like traditional female topics, if I'm talking about what makeup I'm wearing or something, should that be banned as well? I don't know. I've got some good chat on L'Oreal lipstick. <laughs> I'm I don't. Sure you have I don't. The L'Oreal is the only makeup brand I've ever heard of. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no, actually, Max Factor. My sister uses Max Factor eyeshadow. There we go. I buy her that for there Christmas every year. You now wouldn't be excluded. No, I'd, I'd hold my own in a conversation about makeup, but the the average male, you know. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's huge generalizations. But I do understand the feeling of exclusion. But I just think people need to talk about it in a nicer way, and it's a it's a huge historical problem, you know. Or if you're going to talk about it, then don't draw sweeping generalisations about the entire female gender within the workplace and actually do some research before you come out with ridiculous statements like that. Yeah. And Frank, looking at you. Let's go back to the WSL. We've got some exciting games coming up this week. We've got a North London derby, Arsenal against Spurs. Huge. It's not at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The last one was a record crowd of just over 38,000 people. But we've got a Merseyside derby at Goodison Park and a Man United-Chelsea game, which is a rerun of the Conti Cup. Yeah, all huge games, derby weekend in the WSL, no heavyweight clashes, but should still be fascinating regardless. We'll have all the reaction to that next week. If you want to get in touch with us before then, feel free to reach us on Twitter, which is at Football51Pod, capital F, capital P, number 51. And same thing on Instagram. And yeah, please feel free to get in touch. We'll bring you all the action next week. 